Well, good morning, everybody. So good to be with you all this morning. Uh, my name is Tyler. I'm the communications director here at San Diego First Church. And I'm Lexi. I'm the youth pastor here at San Diego First Church. And we are going to go through some announcements for you. But before we give you some announcement items, I thought I would give you a quick reflection on NYC. Um, for those of you who don't know, I spent a week in Florida with about seven teens alongside our district group that had just over 40 people um, for an event in Florida, Nazarene Youth Conference, that had 10,000 people at it. Um, it was a blast. I have never understood the phrase dry heat until I got to Florida and have never been more thankful to be in a space or live in a city that is as beautiful as San Diego. Um, our teens had a great time together. I think my favorite part overall, it was just a cool opportunity for us to get closer together as a unit. Um, we have plenty of high schoolers that come in and out of this place, and it was just fun to have us all together. Um, and then that leads us into tomorrow. I leave with about 35 campers to go to our district camp, um, which is a lot. Yeah, thank um, and so we thought we would invite you into a space tomorrow morning if you're free. Around 8.45, we'll probably start circling up to send off to camp. And so we'd love to have our church family there to pray for us as we leave um, and invite you into that space. Yeah. Uh, a couple other things happening in Life of Church, or just one more big thing that I want to make sure you all know about, is coming up on August 20th. So circle that day on your calendar. Uh, it's a Sunday. Do not show up here for church because we will not be here. Instead, it's our, oh, instead, that's our annual summer celebration that happens down at Crown Point in uh, Mission Bay area. And we'd love to invite you all out there. We have kind of like an outdoor, really fun church service with some worship, do some reflections about summer ministries, get to hear from teens that were able to go to NYC, kids that went to children's camp, uh, teens that also went to our, our camp coming up here this week. Uh, so... And then after we have that brief service, uh, we'll also have the opportunity to just have some fellowship time, play some long games together. We have a free taco lunch. It's great every single year. Uh, and we just kind of hang out down by the water for, for a morning. So uh, that will start at our normal time around 1030. And we'll probably hang out with like lunch and games until around 2-ish. So we hope you'll have the time to come hang out with us down at Crown Point on August 20th uh, when we have our summer celebration. Instead of church here, don't come here. I'm serious. Don't, like, if you're in this building, you're going to be alone or with everybody else that forgot. So uh, you guys can have a good time or carpool down to Crown Point. Uh, okay, uh, this is the point in our service where we get to uh, pass the peace with one another. So if you'll go ahead, stand, turn to your neighbor, and uh, do so.
Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. As you make your way back to your seat, uh, you can stay standing, actually, if you'd like. And um, we just invite you to join us in song as we reflect on uh, God's word and what it means in our lives. to invite Daniel Holcomb up to read our psalm passage today. Good morning. I'll be reading from Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will not follow that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth, and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statuses are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. The word of the Lord. Amen. We sing now as we prepare to reflect on our next passage from Romans chapter 8.
Falk is going to come now and help us with the Romans 8 passage. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. In us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the spirit, sorry, those who live according to the flesh, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, because of his spirit who lives in you. The word of the Lord.
because you were forsaken and I'm accepted you were condemned and I'm alive and well your spirit lives within me because you died and rose again amazing joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you in all I do. I honor you. to pray our prayer of dismissal as our teens and kids go on to their other activities. And let's just pray this that is up on the screen right now together. This is my prayer for you, our children, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. May you be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Bye, kids. What a great way to start a time of prayer together. So I invite us to consider those things that we bring with us this morning. We bring with us all kinds of hopes and dreams. We also bring with us uncertainties and circumstances we face. We have people that we know who are in need, and we pray for them. We might feel like there are obstacles right in front of us and we're the ones for whom others need to be praying. I would ask you or implore you to continue to lift up um, Janita Luce as she recovers from surgery. Um, I know that they welcome and uh, long for your prayers. I ask you to continue to pray for the Holly family and invite you um, two weeks from yesterday a memorial service for Sheila Holly that will be over in Brown Auditorium. You are certainly invited to join in for that. Um, I would love for us to spend just a few moments together in prayer. Um, after uh, a few moments of music and silence, I'll lead us in prayer. We will close together in the Lord's Prayer for those who would be willing to do that. I do want to acknowledge that um, the time of silence Sometimes it feels awkward for people. And I just want you to know, it's not a time where we expect the world to go silent. We go silent. There may be coughing or some kind of noise that takes place or you hear sirens outside or some shuffling that's going on. The world doesn't go silent. 
but there's an invitation for us to regularly practice silence so that we might both hear God move, but also so that we might hear others, to pay attention to the noises of the world and to ask ourselves how God might want us to enter into those moments. So let's pray together. Lord, I'm reminded of the Old Testament prophet who heard the winds and the storms and your voice wasn't there. Those winds and storms increased and your voice wasn't there. But then it was as if a hush came over the world and a still small voice spoke. And there you were. Into the sacred moments where it feels like the ground some suddenly becomes holy. And we can't always explain why. We don't know what led to that moment. We just know that you're there. Where your divine presence breaks through the mundane circumstances or the overwhelming moments and we pause long enough to say oh god thank you for being there thank you for being there in the midst of surgery in the midst of difficult news in strained relationships you're there When resources don't meet the bills, when decisions become incredibly complicated, when we feel helpless or hopeless, you're there. When we wonder, maybe in awe at creation or wonder what's next, you're there. Lord, thank you 
that you have gone before us, you come in behind us, you surround us with forgiveness, with grace, simply with your presence, and you invite us to receive your peace in the midst of everything we're facing. When the tears begin to come, you don't tell us to stop crying. When the nervousness begins to fill our muscles, you just stay beside and hold us close. So Lord, help us to hear your admonition to just breathe. Breathe in your forgiveness, breathe out our stress. Breathe in your grace, breathe out our hurry. Breathe in your love. And then, Lord, could it be possible that we live out your love? So with all of our needs that we bring with us, all of the concerns, we follow your admonition to just lift them up to you, surrender them to you. And to cover all of those things, Lord, for which we don't even know how to pray. We feel incredibly privileged to pray what your followers have been praying for centuries. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you to listen now as Justin and Ashley share a song with us today.
Dave James is coming to read our Matthew scripture for us today. Good morning, church. This scripture is found in Matthew chapter 13, 1 through 9, and then continuing 18 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood 
on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering his seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. And then with verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once and receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. The word of the Lord. We're going to sing a song that's probably new to you, but you may know the melody if you know the song, The Church is One Foundation. It's the same melody, but this one reflects and helps us to retell the scripture that we just heard. So let's sing it together. We can just remain seated for this if you like. Let's sing. Christ taught us of a farmer who went out sowing seeds. A few had trouble growing among the rocks and weeds. But others grew till harvest in soil that was so good. Oh God, you sow the gospel, the seed is your own word. You
It appears to me that not only are the instruments wired, but the people are wired that are up here, and I think that's incredible. Um, my name's Dee. I didn't say that during the prayer time, and I just want to say once again how much I love being with you, and I want to say that to our guests as well. Um, gracing us with your presence um, is such a gift, and so glad that you are here. And then a few that um, this is your place, but it's been a few weeks since you've been able to be here. And I just want to say thanks. Thanks for coming this morning in the midst of a wonderful summer day. And um, I hate to say this in San Diego, but there haven't been that many wonderful summer days in the last five months of perpetual summer that we're supposed to have in this place. But this is certainly a beautiful day. Um, I'd like to say a couple things before we jump into this passage in Matthew chapter 13. Um, just because I love often, um, and I did it not too long ago, um, to tell you about the things that happen around here when you're not here. That you make possible what takes place because collectively, as this gathering of believers, we get to participate in some wonderful things. We were trying to raise some funds for uh, church planting in Brazil, and uh, we were able to send off $5,000. What a wonderful thing. Thank you for your generosity in that way, and for pe perpetuating what has been long a tradition of this church to be involved in church planting. So thank you. Two weeks ago, um, this campus, particularly Brown Auditorium, was invaded in a good way by Students for Christ. It's an organization, I believe an international organization. The gathering seemed to have a wonderful international flair to it, and what a privilege it was to host them and allow them to use our facilities. And then this last week, many of you are familiar with the organization Fellowship of Christian Athletes. They had a large gathering on campus, and they used both our Brown Worship Center and this place was filled with tumble mats, and I didn't watch what took place, but my goodness, there were just, I don't know, maybe 12 huge tumble mats in here as uh, one of the aspects of what they were doing, but then gathering for services in Brown. So thank you for creating space 
for that kind of thing. Um, Friday night, we had a wonderful night of music. Um, about 50 of you came and heard multiple groups perform, and three of the four um, presentations, packages of about four or five songs each, were original compositions, and oh my goodness, it was just fantastic. You don't want to miss the next one. It was wonderful. And so those are some of the things that are taking place, and tomorrow we send off 35 teens to camp, and then after that, VBS, where we'll have two to 300 little ones running around here, and we still need your help. If you just want to show up and smile, that's a great thing. That's your church in action in between Sundays. We gather together to dig into the Word. We meet sometimes in small groups to uh, dig even deeper. Um, but a whole lot takes place that you sometimes miss, and I just want you to be aware of the wonderful things that come out of this place. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 13. You heard it read. We step into the middle of a story. And you know me, I find it difficult to, to step into the middle of any story without understanding a little bit of the backstory. And this seems really important. So not just what happened the few verses before, but this is a gospel story that Matthew's telling. So let's just for a moment pay attention to what Matthew is unfolding for us. So we're in chapter 13, the quick overview of chapters 1 through 12. First chapters 1 through 4, it's like the beginning stuff. It has the genealogy, it talks about Jesus' birth. It's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We even have at the end of chapter 4 a description of how his popularity was beginning to grow, where news spread throughout Syria and, and various parts of Galilee, and they brought people to him. So there is this beginnings of Jesus, but also his family history, and then the beginning of his ministry. Then chapters 5 through 7, some of you would be familiar with it as the Sermon on the Mount. Could have been done all in one setting, but it's also probably a collection of the teachings of Jesus. So we have Jesus' beginnings, collection of Jesus' teachings, and then we have chapters 8 and 9 where we have the actions of Jesus, the miracles, the healings. The interaction with the people and how he addresses their various diseases and illnesses. It not only talks about the large groups of people that came and had various things for which they were hoping Jesus would intervene, but it also gets pretty personal with some personal stories. So now we have the teachings of Jesus, the actions of Jesus, and then in chapter 10, we have Jesus sending out the disciples, the missions calling. Sending you out disciples. And they are to do what they've seen and heard of Jesus. You've heard my teachings. You've watched what I've been doing. Now I'm sending you out to do the same. What we have in chapter 12 is an interesting kind of shift in the storyline. Because in chapter 12, 
we find what's happening in response to Jesus among the Jewish people. He's not being received very well. I, I don't know what people were expecting or what you as a reader might have been expecting, but chapter 12 was probably not how you thought the storyline was going to go. He speaks about the cities where he did many of his miracles and hardly anyone repented. We find the conflict raise, raising stakes with the Pharisees. They keep testing him and throwing things at him, not for the purpose of learning or growing or understanding. They are in it to win it. They are moving into this dialogue because Jesus is threatening their power structure. So, in response to what we hear from Matthew in chapter 12, we have chapter 13. And I would suggest, in particular, the first few parables. I say few parables because in this chapter, we have eight parables. Doesn't seem like it's possible to squeeze in that many parables in that short amount of time, but eight parables. There's this parable, the parable of the sower, followed by the parable of the weeds, the parable of the seeds, and the parable of the yeast. That's followed up by the parable of the hidden treasure, the parable of the pearl, the parable of the net, and the parable of the storehouse. Do you remember all of those? Neither do I. But it's this collection of Jesus' teaching. They are characterized by the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then a word picture is typically given to us to help us envision what it is that Jesus is teaching and what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, this parable that we're looking at doesn't start with the kingdom of heaven is like, but the ones that follow in verse 31 and 33 and 37, you'll find that phrase used, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then it repeats itself in verse 44 and 45 and 47, and it is this repetitious nature, many, many different word pictures to try and get you to begin to envision that the kingdom of heaven is all around if you'll start looking for it. In fact, I would suggest that maybe this is an invitation to make up your own metaphor. The kingdom of heaven is like driving down or walking down Hill Street and all of a sudden you see the vastness of the ocean. The kingdom of heaven is like walking down the sidewalk distracted by everything that you have going on and all of a sudden you catch the fragrance of honeysuckle or star jasmine and it startles you into something that's different than where your head was. The kingdom of heaven is like you fill in the blank. This parable doesn't begin with the kingdom of heaven is like, but instead it says that this is receiving a message about the kingdom. 
and either understanding or not understanding what you've received. So the sequence of these parables goes like this. It is a message to the disciples and anyone else who wants to listen about what it means to hear something about the kingdom. And then a series of six parables that describe the kingdom. And then a closing parable that says, okay, now that you've been instructed, as you become a teacher, here's what it will look like. You're going to take a little bit of the old and a little bit of the new, mix them together, and this is the good news that you're going to begin to share. So it begins, though, with this description that in some ways explains, though doesn't explain it away, explains what's been happening all the places that Jesus has gone and how the Jews have rejected this message in mass. Not all of them, but many of them. And so there's the story of the sower. The sower goes out to sow seed. Some of the seed falls in the pathway, some of the seed falls in the rocky soil, some of the seed falls among weeds. And then there's seed that falls on good soil. I just, maybe it's just me. It's usually just me. So this is the portion where I'm just talking to myself and you can listen in. But I am often curious about what Jesus doesn't say. There are several things here that just grab my attention that Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say at the end of this parable, so stop wasting resources by throwing the seed on the pathway, the rocky soil, and the weeds. That seems to me like the obvious lesson. So it's really good that I'm not the one writing scripture. <laughs> Jesus doesn't say that. I also find it interesting that Jesus doesn't seem to make a big deal of counting numbers the way we count numbers. There's, let me explain. In, in Mark, the same thing is told in uh, chapter 4 of Mark. And, and the teaching is almost identical, but the closing, closing crescendo is different. Seed falls on good soil, and... It produces a crop of 30 or 60 or a hundredfold. That just sounds like my culture that counts numbers and loves to count things and gets really excited when the numbers get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I love that Dave, when he read the Matthew rendition, gave a huge emphasis to a hundredfold or 60 or 30. <laughs> I feel like the 60 or 30 is like, you know, not that you're a loser, but you didn't get the hundredfold. Jesus doesn't say anything about that. Because that's not the point. At least it doesn't seem like it is. I also find it interesting to me, again, maybe not to you, but that Jesus, Jesus doesn't make it particularly easy to know who I am in the story. 
I'd really like if he would just like call it out and say, D, you're the rocky soil. Something specific so that I can wrap myself into the learning moment. It seems, based on the sequence of all eight parables, that the disciples are called to be the sower of seed. Because of the concluding parable that says, those of you that become teachers are like those in the storehouse who bring something old and something new off of the shelf. It, it seems like there's this invitation to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and be prepared. Because when you follow in the footsteps of Jesus, you are likely to experience what is described in chapter 12. You try and be a messenger of the good news. And sometimes that falls on pathway soil. It's as if somebody just didn't hear it all. Like you toss the seed and it was like you didn't say anything. They just continue on with the conversation that was as if your contribution was silence. Or you offer some expression of the good news and it's like the rocky soil. It seems like somebody received it with great enthusiasm, but you just notice right away it just sprung forth with this wonderful sense of positivity and then the next time you interact you realize, okay, that didn't take root at all, that, that did nothing. God, what I do wrong? Or you try and be kind, compassionate, living out the good news and the way you live your life. And the response is that somebody is so distracted by their needs, by their concerns, by their finances or lack of resources, that it's like you're talking a foreign language to them. It's kind of that old adage, it's tough to talk about spiritual things until we've taken care of physical needs. And there's some wonderful truth to that. And sometimes that seems to be the reaction when we try and live our lives in a particular way. So we have these soils, this depiction of this invitation to follow in Jesus' footsteps. But the truth is, that the soils there are also for instruction to us. An invitation. Not just to help explain chapter 12 or the chapter 12 moments in our life, but also an invitation, I think, to say, well, Lord, you didn't tell me what character I was here Maybe I should pause long enough to pay attention to all the characters in this story. So that first soil, the soil that is pathway, it says Satan comes and plucks it away because there's no way there can be any growth or root because it's pathway soil. There's hardly any space for anything to grow. What would that be in my life? It makes it sound as if 
Satan comes and attacks. And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. But I think it's easy to be dismissive of our own volitional responsibility to simply say Satan attacked and, um, you know, if it wasn't for Satan, everything would be great. But we have some volition in what the soil looks like. Right? We, we participate in how the soil of our life is prepared or not prepared. And I would, I would suggest that when I have allowed my life, my thoughts, my journey to be preoccupied with the kinds of things that are spoken in Scripture about um, immorality or impurity, in, intrigued by those things that might lead me down the pathway of, of greed and coveting and longing for things that I don't have that I see others have. When that's how I work my soil, that I allow those things into my life because I'm intrigued by the things that, for whatever reason, seem prohibited. And it begins to push those buttons of lust or self-serving or um, looking out for my best interests alone. It's just as if that soil gets packed down hard and hard and hard. And that's easy pickings for any bird that might come along and want to grab the seed out of my life. So I need to be aware of how I prep the soil in my life. Sometimes that soil gets um, worked by other things as described in the rocky soil. The soil that allows for a little bit of root to take place, but it can't go down deep because of the rocks. It springs forth quickly with great joy and positivity, but as soon as a little persecution comes, a little suffering, things didn't go my way, I thought I was entitled to it, it didn't come to pass, God, I thought this pathway you marked out for me had some blessings, benefits as a result of my devotion to you. Where are you? And I begin to be dismissive of God's presence because I don't see evidence through blessing. As if that's the only way God gives evidence in my life. Or, or it may be that the soil in my life is filled with the weeds. And the description that Jesus gives is the concerns of this world or the deceitfulness of wealth. The, the title of this message back when I was wrestling with it early on was then and is now economic insanity. And I just think this is an invitation to think of the insane economics that we see all around us. And what that does in terms of tempting us, drawing us into thinking about the world in particular ways. Somebody on my staff told me about, just because we have a common enjoyment of basketball, about 
the National Basketball Association. That's what the NBA stands for, for those of you who don't follow the NBA. National Basketball Association has decided that during one of the lull times, when they don't get as much viewership, not as much interest, they're doing a mid-season tournament this coming year. Supposedly great for the fans. Truth is, it's great revenue for the organizations. And to the tune of, the winner gets $500,000 per player. Now, I know entertainment numbers are like beyond anything I imagine. But we're just going to add a mid-season tournament, and we're just going to throw another half a million to every player who sits on the bench and doesn't play one game because this would be great for revenue. I mean, they don't do that if there's not a payoff that's so much larger than that. That just feels like economic insanity to me. Not dissing NBA fans, I'm just saying that seems a little out of touch. I, this, I don't even understand this stuff that I'm about to say. I, I'm repeating it back because it was intriguing to me, but I don't fully get it. But the conversation was about the last oh, probably 10 years. And it was talking about where we have gone in terms of global monetary systems. There was a time in global financial systems where there was a decision to peg all currencies against the US dollar. The reason was the US dollar was pegged to gold. And that was a commodity that was limited and valued for a variety of reasons. Then about the time I was graduating from high school, we decided to separate those. The dollar is no longer pegged to anything. We just let the free markets determine the value of the dollar and anything else that's associated with the dollar. So this belief that the free markets help take care of that without it being specifically pegged. What's interesting is, again, I'm told, that we are in a time now where less than 5% of our money is in coins or bills. 95% of it is electronic, pegged somewhere in a computer. N not just like Bitcoin and all that kind of stuff. I mean, most of it is found in what happens when a loan is given that loan generates certain amount of dollar value that is not connected to any kind of currency. Fascinating. So what? Well, over the course of the last number of years, the freedom of the banks and the banking system to determine where those loans go lend them to invest in the kind of real estate markets that sometimes we interact with because that's a much safer loan than small businesses. Those small businesses generate jobs and produce goods. Funding somebody's home doesn't do that. 
But it's much more secure because there's a tangible piece of property. And that investment in more of those loans produces a much larger capacity of people to purchase. And a result of many more buyers, because those loans are easier to get, increases the number of buyers, which shoots the cost of homes way up. Benefits the banks because the value of that, what they've funded, has grown, but hasn't made any more production in our economy by more jobs, other than maybe the housing industry, which is a good thing. But the kind of producing of goods and what it does, all of us have higher costs, supposedly higher value for those who are homeowners, but not necessarily higher income that goes with that for our children. So we have exchanged this golden opportunity for the ability of those who come behind us to afford these kinds of things. I don't fully understand it, but when I hear it, it feels like economic insanity again. And I don't have to go very far to look at home prices before I go, what? All of that, I don't know, but it feels like driven by some things that choke out generosity, sometimes chokes out compassion. I. I probably have just stepped into areas that are far beyond my place to step. But I want to suggest at least this thing, and this I feel like I am appropriate in stepping into. The invitation in Scripture over and over and over again is economic insanity in the other direction. I mean, that's what this parable is. The economic insanity of a sower, a farmer, who has limited resources, spreading the seed willy-nilly everywhere, is the picture of the kingdom of heaven. Grace spread to people who have never even asked for grace, forgiveness. Oh, you don't even ask forgive. I'm called to be in a posture of forgiveness all the time because that's where Jesus has led me generosity oh my goodness the good samaritan story tells us of somebody who watched others cross on the other side of the road i don't even know this person but my goodness somebody ought to step into this i will not only tries to care for the wounds not only takes him to an end to pay for his place but leaves money that he'll never get back to cover his expenses as he recovers what kind of economic insanity is that kind of an economic insanity is tithing. Are you kidding me? When we are stretched by bills right and left, and yet God invites us to practice the kind of generosity that should allow us as a church to be compassionate, helpful, generous, reaching the good news into places that may not other, otherwise have the possibility to do that. What does that look like? I don't know. It just, it seems kind of insane. I mean, I, Kay and I, just, we try and add up what we get in compensation and all the wonderful benefits that this church provides. Are, 
our housing and our insurance and all of those things combined and say, what's 10% of that? Well, that seems to be where we ought to start thinking about what God is calling us to do. It's not always easy. There have been times in our life journey where that was the goal. But it's an invitation to a posture that's dramatically different in terms of how we deal with the economy. And it seems like economic insanity. But generosity always does. And it puts us in a place where we have to move toward trust and, oh, God, help me. I long to live as you've called me to live. Help me to do that well. And, and just help me to grow, whatever that might look like. You've invited me to a place where the kingdom looks dramatically different than what I see on a regular basis. And to not live in a place of judgment where there's condemnation to anyone else, but just invite me, oh God, to be a breath of fresh air, to be night jasmine for someone else, to be the expanse of ocean for someone who needs a place to be, to be a park bench for somebody to rest, to be a shelter where somebody can find safe space. Help me to be this place of love where people feel like others are walking by and don't see their hurt, don't see their injury. Help me, Lord, to keep my eyes open. I don't even know what I have to offer at all. That's the insanity of all of this. But Jesus says, and you disciples go out, don't worry if it's pathway soil or rocky soil, or great soil. The soil part's up to me and that person. You just be faithful. Faithful to be good and kind and gracious and loving and helpful and courteous. Be the light wherever you are at every moment of every day. And trust that the one who is the sower of all things knows how to take the seed and get it where it needs to be. Because I guarantee you, every one of those disciples who is hearing Jesus' teaching can look at a moment in their life where their life was pathway, where their life was rocky, where their life was full of weeds. Was any of that lost? No. God took all of those moments and gathered the followers and said, oh, trust me. This is how it works. This is the kingdom breaking through, and it is revolutionary. Oh, God, will you invite us into this place of hearing you, of knowing you, of trusting you, Oh, will you invite us into places of generosity that are seeds planted of hope? Oh, Lord, I don't know exactly how this works, but I'm trusting you. Trusting you, Lord.
Will you come alongside us, Holy Spirit? Will you call us by name? And maybe this morning your comment to us is, oh yeah, you're all of the characters in the story. You're the rocky soil. You're the pathway soil. You're the weed soil. And I want you to hear me say you're also the good soil. And before you leave this too quickly, know that you're also the sower. I'm depending on you to sow the seeds of the kingdom so that others might hear the good news. Oh God, thank you for inviting us into these moments. May we celebrate one another this week. May we find ways to live as you've taught us to live, I pray. Stand together and sing. Christ, we Salvation through the 
enjoyed being with you this morning. I am so glad you came. I hope something this morning the Lord takes and yields a crop of 160, 30, whatever it might be. I hope that you journey in your faith and find God's presence.